0: Okay, let's go ahead and get started this morning with a word of prayer, if we could. Our Father, we do give great praise to your name, for you deserve all worship and honor and glory. Lord, we thank you that we can come together as the body of Christ and to study the Scriptures. I pray that your Spirit would illumine our minds and give us an understanding that comes only from you. Lord, uh, use your Word to help us to think rightly about Your great plan, what you have done in the past, what you plan to do in the future. May we uh, correctly understand it in that way, Lord, to worship you properly. We give you honor this morning, and we are so grateful for the blessing of coming together. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, this is unusual for me, but uh, I actually have a handout for you. There are about 20 of these. So, uh, there may be enough for every person. Let me, get, let me have one. And um, I just wanted one, so I could give you one. Just pass it back. And so, these are, um, the, script, these are the scriptures that we're going to attempt to go through this morning. So, um, there's a lot of them, is why I gave you the handout. I think there's either 14 or 15 references here that I just kind of want to walk through. You know, we've been, for the last couple of weeks, uh, defining a lot of terms, I guess three weeks, defining a lot of terms, uh, looking at different views of eschatology, talking about those a little bit. Um, And I think that's right and good, because not all true believers think the same way about eschatology. And that's okay, I don't get all upset about that and want to challenge people and all of that. I mean, it's just no sense in all that. But I owe it to you to let you know what I believe and where I'm coming from as we walk through this and as we teach um, from the scriptures what we believe God has revealed. Because that's what we're after. We're after the revealed truth of God because there are a lot of passages about eschatology, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And God didn't put them there for us to be ignorant about them. He put them there for us to study and to understand as much as He wants us to understand. And so it's it's a worthwhile study. It's something we should do to understand the plan of God for His creation and what He is planning to do, what He has already done. And so I want to walk through some of these things Um, we've talked about the fact that um, Canton Bible Church would be put into the dispensational camp, that's the the label people would put on us although we don't hold to all the tenets of dispensationalism, we we don't Uh, there are many things that are contained in that that we don't necessarily believe and teach but the things we've defined is that we'll always try and use a literal uh, grammatical historical hermeneutic that'll be our attack on every passage that we look at, uh, trying to get at the author's intent of what he was writing to the people to whom he wrote them are the people to whom God spoke, what did what was God actually telling them, and then we believe that the church in Israel are distinct. They're not the same thing. Most people who are Reformed, true believers, believe that um, the church has replaced Israel. We don't agree with that. Uh, We believe they're two separate things and that uh, the church began on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and that's distinct and apart from the people of God known as the nation of Israel. Um, We believe that Jesus Christ will come physically to reign on the earth for a thousand years. That'll be what is known in, as the millennial kingdom. Um, it'll come at the end of the seven years of tribulation. Uh, Christ will defeat all the armies of all the nations that are opposed to Israel, wipe them out, actually slaughter them, just speaks a word, and they're all slaughtered. And then he will establish on the throne of David in the nation of Israel, in the city of Jerusalem, um, his throne to reign for a thousand years over the entire earth. Um, We believe, not necessarily all of us, but um, I believe that um, the church, the New Testament believers, will reign with him over the earth, and that's the way that he'll um, have worldwide rule, is that we'll be reigning with him over those nations. Um, There are different views on that even in dispensationalism, but that's what I hold Simply because that's what Revelation chapter five says um, that will reign with him. So, um, we believe that the promises that God gave to Israel in the Old Testament scriptures um, were not completely fill, fulfilled, and they will be completely fulfilled during the millennial kingdom. And that's when uh, the ultimate Israel Israelite, Jesus Christ will bring God's kingdom fully to the nation of Israel. Um, we believe that in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church, that the church will be spared from the tribulation, taken out at the beginning. That's the trumpet that blows in the air and where Paul speaks of the dead will rise first and then all we who remain will be caught up with him in the air. Also, bodies will be changed in the twinkling of an eye and from mortal bodies to immortality. So we believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Um, we believe the ultimate judgment of all those who never place faith in Jesus Christ will take place at the end of the millennial kingdom. That's known as, in scripture as the great white throne judgment. Um, there's differing views or there's some believers in there whose name is found in the book of life and they're spared are there no believers in that judgment i happen to believe there are believers in that judgment but that's a more finer point right that's probably not even tertiary it's probably fourth level or fifth level so it's not of primary importance but you have to decide what you believe on these things and uh that's what i believe and then finally we believe that after the millennial kingdom after the judgment that that's where the eternal state is established those who are with God, uh, new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem comes down, and that's where we dwell, free to go in and out of the city, because the earth is, is perfect, and there is no more evil, and we're with God forever, uh, he is actually in on the earth also, uh, we, that's where his throne is, and that we worship him forever, in perfect eternity, so, That's kind of the way we lay out our eschatology. That's the way it falls. This is what I'll try and teach. This is my perspective. Um, And so you don't have to agree with me on every single point. I'm okay with that, as long as you're okay with that. You have to have a biblical reason why you believe what you believe, uh, and then I'll listen to you. Um, If it's just what you think and you want to, because it makes you feel better, that doesn't matter. Um, It's what is revealed in Scripture. And so that's going to be our tact. And as that is what I believe, then the promises that God gave to Israel in the Old Testament become very important. um, You have to decide what you believe. Were they fulfilled? Were they not fulfilled? Were they actually promises that God gave to Israel? Or was he really giving them to the future church? You have to land somewhere on all these things and come to a conclusion And so I want to start, I told you this last week, with the promises that God gave um, to the patriarchs, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then ultimately, we'll take that all the way through to uh, Moses and to Joshua, and then ultimately to the book of Ezekiel. It's kind of where we're headed. But to do that, you have to lay the foundation of what God actually promised in the Old Testament. So we're going to walk through the book of Genesis where God gave these promises, and hopefully you've seen this before, but he gave the promises initially to Abraham, and then he personally gave them to Isaac and gave them to Jacob. Um, God personally did that. And so I want you to see that in Scripture, so there be no doubt in your mind what the line was and who God made promises to. Okay, so we'll start back in Genesis chapter 12. And I think we read this last week, but it's certainly worth repeating and kind of gets us started with the promises that God made in the Old Testament. Um, by the time we get to here, you've are, in, in Genesis, you've already had the creation, you had the fall, you had the um, the flood, you've had the Tower of Babel to confuse the languages, and then you come to chapter 12. So all those other things are... Um, in the past, and just so, I, I like to do this, um, it's just the way my brain works. So I went in and I laid out the generations as they're given in Scripture. Starting with Adam, and then going on through all the way, um, I went a lot further than this, but from Adam to Noah, there are, to the birth of Noah, there's 1,056 years detailed in Scripture. Um, It says that Adam was, uh, I believe, 130 when he had his children. And then it goes on. It gives everybody's age when they had their children. And so you come up with 1,056 years from Adam to the birth of Noah. And then from Noah, the, the flood didn't happen until Noah was 500. So there's 1,500 years, 1,556 years detailed in Scripture And then from Noah to Abram, before his name was Abraham, when he was born, there are 900 years. So there basically are 24 or 2,500 years detailed in Scripture from Adam to Abram. And you can go and find them just like I did. The only one I could not find as I tried to continue to go forward was... um, Exactly when was uh, Judah, the son of Jacob, born? How old was Jacob when Judah was born? I hadn't found that yet. But my guess is he was around 35. Um, We know Joseph better than we know Judah. But um, using 35 as the time when uh, Judah was born to uh, Jacob, you wind up with, I um, thought I did this, uh, yeah, a thousand and sixty years from the birth of Noah to the birth of Jacob, Israel. So, um, using 35 years for when Judah was born to Jacob. And so, the, I'm a new earth guy, I uh, just will admit it. I believe in seven literal days of creation. And then these years are detailed in scripture for us. And so I don't believe the, year, the earth is millions of years old. I believe it's more like five or 6,000 years old. Um, 6,000 years old. Um, I'm a scientific guy and people think I'm crazy because I believe that. And that's okay. It's okay. It's just what's revealed in scripture the way I read it. Um, and so uh, I'm definitely a new earth guy. And, you know, how long did the earth exist before God created man? Not very long. You know, because it gives it in the creation, um, the day that he was created on. So anyway, um, and were those days literal days? I happen to think that, yes, they were. Uh, even though the earth, the sun and the moon weren't created on the first day. they were What day? Where is it? Fourth? Um, so you didn't have that counting, but God still already had all the um, solar system in place. And so things were just as they are today, I believe. Um, No big bang, no great, you know, none of that. Um, So Genesis chapter 12, God begins to speak to a man named Abram, starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and so you are, you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, God gave a few promises there, right? And what are they? Just detail them for me. Um, the first one, at the end of verse 1, is what? He's going to show him a land to which he should go, right? So you've got the land, and then you've got, um, at the beginning of verse 2, that it will make him a great nation, which means that he's got to have a lot of children, right? Or someone's got to have a lot of children in order to be a great nation, And then number three, at the end of verse three, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Three distinct promises. Don't know what the land is, but you know there is a land. You know that there are going to be a lot of people who come after Abraham, Abram, and that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. Okay, you keep on reading, and we get the definition of what the land is. You start in verse 4 and keep reading. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot with went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, And they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Morai. Now the Canaanite was in the land. Okay, so we we now know what the land is, right? It's the land of the Canaanites. And um, he goes to a place named Shechem and sets up camp. Now, you have to realize that Abram wasn't just Abram and his wife and his nephew and his wife. Um, there were scores of people with him, scores of animals. I mean, he was not a poor man. If you remember um, before this time, no, it's after this time, when he goes and he rescues his, son, his nephew Lot from the kings who, over, who capture him and take him away that he already has hordes of possessions. And he doesn't take anything from the raid saying, I don't want you to be able to say you made me rich because it's God who made me rich. So he's not a poor man and just a couple of people. Um, He already has a lot of people with him. All right. And so we've got the promise of the land of Canaan. We've got the promise of a nation will come after him. And we've got the promise that all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him. Now, you going down, going over to chapter 13. And we get, God will repeat these promises multiple times and add to them some things as he goes on. And, you know, God didn't ask Abram for anything here. He appeared to him gave him promises and didn't ask for anything in return. Said, just said, this is what I'm going to do. Then you get to chapter 13 and verse 12. And this is after um, Lot has been rescued. Um, they had, Abram and Lot together had too many possessions, so their herds needed to be separated. And this is when Lot chose the valley that goes down towards Sodom. And ultimately winds up sitting in this um, assembly of Sodom, but and Abram uh, didn't go with him, stayed up on the hill country. And so after they had separated, so God removes Lot from Abraham from Abram, and then he comes to him in chapter 13 and gives him these repeated promises, starting in verse 12 of chapter 13 of Genesis. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward for all the land which you see I will give to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Okay, so again, God gives Abram promises that are greater than the land of Canaan. Abram is up in the hill country. So when God says, look to the north, look to the south, look to the east, look to the west, he can see a long way. And so it's more than just the land of the Canaanites. We don't have boundaries defined here. But we have that it is an expanse of property. It's not just the Canaanites' land. Okay? So, God expands what he's told Abram. Again, tells him he's going to have many descendants. Doesn't say anything about all the nations being blessed through him here. But he expands the perimeter of the land to be more than just the land of Canaan. Go ahead, Andy. David, and
1: I was going through this the last three years. One of the things... That struck me was the promise in Genesis 3.15 yeah. of the one who would come, right? Right. Which is a, a, a promise.
0: Speaking of the, the seed that will crush the head of Satan.
1: Right, so it's a very pregnant promise and it ties to the one and it ties to that this much wider sea of humanity that we see in Israel from which the one would Rise up out of, and it ties to the kingdom because there are many others beyond that. But I think one of the things that's interesting, as you're talking about when we come into Abraham, is that with Noah, I was just looking at Noah, Genesis five, verse twenty-eight. When Lamech had lived one hundred eighty-two years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, "Now I want you to go back to the Genesis
0: three fifteen promise." Right. They were looking. Constantly for this coming one.
1: And look what they said about Noah. Saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Right. What are they looking for?
0: Yeah, the the one that's going to crush the head of Satan.
1: So this flows through, and especially it expands
0: with Abraham. Right. into the sea of humanity from which
1: this one is going to rise up out of, which just ties it all
0: straight to the kingdom. Yeah, I once did a study on the scarlet thread through the New Testament, meaning the um, look at the New Testament looking for the intimations of Jesus Christ. And so that's your purpose as you go through. And it is all through the New Testament, I mean, starting in Genesis 3 and going all the way through the New Testament, there is this intimation that Jesus Christ, yeah, the Old Testament, sorry, that that Jesus Christ is coming and they were expecting him. Now, in the day that he came, they were still expecting him. They just were expecting something different.
1: Uh, And then you can look at, and his partner on the road to maya. Yeah, right. They were utter, They thought he was the one, and now he's died. But yet they don't even realize he's the one walking right down the road. With
0: and them. and it says that from the Old Testament scriptures that he explained to them who he was. Um. So yeah, it's all through there. It's, and and we're just getting a glimpse of it from Israel here. And it's the
1: consistency of God that I love because it, it's just so.
0: Traceable, like you said, if you're diligent with he, he had a plan. <laughs> and he continues to have a plan. Even though sometimes we don't feel like he has a plan. He does. Okay, so we've got the land expanded. So you go on down to chapter 15. And verse 5. And there are things that are happening through here that, I mean, there's a lot that happens in the book of Genesis, right? And the story is much broader than I'm giving you. I'm just looking at the promises. But there's a lot more going on here. But Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. And he took him outside. This is God taking Abram outside. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed, as Abraham believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am, I am the Lord who brought you out of, of Ur, of the Chal- Chaldeans, to give you this land to possess it. Now, if you're Abram, and God says, Look at the stars, I'm going to give you people, a nation that has, you have that many descendants. So he has an innumerable number. And I brought you out of Ur to give you this land to possess it. What does Abram believe? I mean, when it says that he heard God and that he believed him, what does Abram believe? That he's going to have a lot of descendants and what else? The land. The land. That God has given him the land to possess it. Now, if you're Abram, that's what you understand, right? That's a literal I mean, he said, look as far as you can see. And this is the land. I mean, what does, what does Abram understand? That in the future, there are going to be people who believe like he did. And that's who's going to get the land. And it's not a real land. It's a imaginary land. It's a figurative land. That's not what Abram believed, I don't believe. I think Abram heard God, said, okay, I'm going to have all these descendants, and that this land is where we're going to live. The land he's standing on. I don't know how you could think that he understood something different. That would have been Abram's understanding. I mean, that's what God... Told him. Now, so you begin to see why I believe what I believe. Um, And this is when Abram was literally complaining to God, saying, I have no children, and so one who was born to a servant in my house is going to be my heir. And God says, Not so. That you're going to have this many descendants, and they're going to be the heir. And, and Abram believed him. I mean, he took him at his word. And so, God counted it to him as righteousness. Now, you go on down in this same chapter. In verse 17. And God has given, has said many things to Abram here. But you get down to verse 17. It came about when the sun had set, and this is when God says, go get these animals and cut them in half. And Abram does that. And it came about when the sun had set and it was very dark and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between the pieces. What is that? What is that? That's God. Okay. Passing between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, to your descendants, I have given this land. Now he's put some boundaries from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Eu- Euphrates, the Kenite, the Kenite, and the Kesanite and the Catomite and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Raphim, and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. So he's naming lands of where these peoples live that God now includes specifically in the land that he's given to Abram to possess. And notice this says that Abram and God made a covenant, right? No, it says God made a covenant with Abram. Abram had nothing to do with these promises. This is God speaking to Abram that this is what I have done and I'm going to do one-sided, unconditional, given to Abram, promises from God. Now God's going to add some conditional promises pretty soon, but not here. And the conditional promises have nothing to do with the land because you see it here, it's unconditional. Right? And people get...
1: that, That unconditional promise comes right on the heels of one of the clearest Old Testament statements on justification by faith. Right. Uh, which is, right, that God's uh, free choice to redeem unworthy, undeserving, unable sinners by
0: grace. The same with us as it was with Abram. Exactly. And how do we come to um, salvation? We do it by faith. We believe God just like Abram did. Now, did Abram have all the revelation? We have, clearly not. But, he believed God, and God counted it to him as righteousness. It's a very important statement.
1: But well, I like to thread it back. Again, I hate to keep dragging it back, but when the curse came, and God turned to Eve,
0: right. they knew at that point the wages of sin
1: was death, and they probably expected to die.
0: Immediately. So
1: what does he say to them? He says in verse sixteen to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in what? Childbirth. She's gonna bear children. <laughs> She's gonna live. And I think the promise of God began to really lighten in their hearts right there. And then Adam responds in verse twenty, With the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. They believed that God was going to let them live physically.
0: And have children.
1: And have children, which is an extension of what Abraham has promised to him. So that thread of justification by faith and this promise disclosed beautifully by Genesis 3. Yeah. David?
0: Yeah.
1: There's a prophecy here that has a, a fairly immediate fulfillment, but it's interesting because it demonstrates... The and the fulfillment of all prophecy. He tells uh, Abram that his descendants will be taken to a
0: strange land. Yeah. Egypt, as it turns out. Yeah. Stay there 400 years. And, and that's exactly what happened? Yeah, and this is the the thought about Egypt and that the people would be taken is in this chapter, um, I believe, isn't it? Yeah, right, so you can see it? yeah, verse 13. This is God still talking with Abram that day when he gave him these promises, and then ultimately at that night, he ratified his covenant. But in verse 13, God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. Which is what happened. We'll get to that here in a little while. Um, And I was going to refer back to it in, in the future, but... Since someone brought it up, we go ahead and talk. That's all right. It's all right. Uh, just go with the flow. You know, and as the Spirit leads, we follow. All right, so you, you've you got this um, covenant that God has made with Abram, very one-sided. Um, and then you go, that's chapter 15. So now we go down to chapter 17. And right at the very beginning, and this is the covenant of circumcision, different from the previous covenant. Just need to cover this, because you'll see that even in here, there is an unconditional. So I'm going to read for a little while here, um, starting in 17.1. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, Walk before me and be blameless, and I will establish my covenant between me and you. All right, so this is both-sided here. And I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you. And kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you. Throughout their generations for an what? everlasting covenant. To be God to you and to your descendants after you. How long? everlasting, not any end point from the perspective of God speaking. So this covenant that he makes with Abraham here, changes his name, is an everlasting covenant. It has no end to it, and God says, I'm going to, again, make you great nations out of you. Okay, now Abram still does not fully understand what God is telling him. He's 99 years old. And he still believes that his son Ishmael, who he had 12 years earlier, is how God is going to do this. That's where the the nations are going to come from. That's where his descendants are going to come from. And God says, not so much. Okay, now, reading on. All right, so you see the unconditional, everlasting covenant of God giving Abram land and his descendants that land. Then after that, God speaks the covenant of circumcision. That begins in the next verse in chapter 17 in verse 9. And you'll see it clearly. God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant. So what has Abraham got to do to keep the covenant with God? It is very specific. Between me, all right. And you shall be, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you, every male among you shall be circumcised. That is the covenant, how Abram keeps the covenant with God. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and that shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you, and every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations, a servant who is born in the house, or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, That means circumcise them all. A servant who is born in your house, sorry, who is born in your house or is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And this is important. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So that is a physical covenant that Abram is to keep as he obeys what God has told him. it doesn't have anything to do with the land. God has given him the land as an everlasting covenant. This is an additional requirement that he 's put on Abraham on Abraham and let me ask you something if if you 're circumcised in your foreskin, who is that assigned to? Either could be your parents, or who? Or who? You. Nobody else. That is a sign to you. It's not an external sign, right? That is a sign to you every day that you're in a covenant with God. And that's why he did it that way. It's
1: interesting. Just how violently wicked the world was at this point. No. It were wiped out by the flood, and now it is completely reproduced that same wickedness. And and arguably, history suggests that some of the most wicked were the Chaldeans. Right. Where was Abraham? Where was Abraham called out
0: of? Or of the Chaldeans. They in that society. Right. And he prospered in that society. And we often lose sight of just
1: the contrast between what was being called of these people and the general society they were living in.
0: And, and John David said this, and you may not have caught it of the wise men coming from the east and how did they know. Where did Nebuchadnezzar take the Israelites to when he destroyed Jerusalem? I the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans. And so that land of the Chaldeans and the wise men coming from the... There were a lot of Jews who stayed in that land when the others returned to Jerusalem. They didn't all go back. And so that's how they knew about these promises that God had given in, in the Scriptures specifically to Abraham and before Abraham. They knew all about that. They may not have believed everything that was written, but they knew about these promises and the history of the Jewish people. Well,
1: they had a guy named Daniel.
0: Yeah, who, well, Daniel and um, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, all three preached in the land of the Chaldeans. They were free to preach. And Daniel, a very significant guy in the political system of the Chaldeans, And so, yeah, they knew all about this stuff. And all those prophecies in Ezekiel, every single one of them, were given in Chaldea, in the land of the Chaldeans. And everything that Daniel wrote was written in that same land. Jeremiah is the only one who went back and forth between there and Jerusalem. He was before Jerusalem was destroyed and after Jeremiah is. Daniel is exclusively in captivity and Ezekiel is narrower than than Daniel is. So as you look at the expanse, it's Ezekiel, Daniel, then Jeremiah is the way that God orchestrated his prophets at that time.
1: Just help you see how radical the conversion of Abraham was.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, I mean like Saul to Paul, they left everything
0: So do I go on or do I stop? In chapter 17, verses 15 through 21, this is where God says, Ishmael's not the one. You're going to have a son and you're going to call his name Isaac. So we'll pick up there next time with this because this is the first time that Abram understands that it's not going to be just his child, is going to be his and his wife Sarah's child, and nobody else. And Abram has more children after Isaac is born, but Isaac is the promised child, and we'll see that God spells it out so clearly that it is unmistakable about what He says. And by the and then, so we'll talk about that, and we'll talk about why do the Muslims believe what they believe. The, the Muslims, because they have a reason for what they believe as in error as it might be. Yeah, well, had 12. They had 12 sons. That's right.
1: All
0: right. Same as the dudes. Yeah. right. The and we even know their names of the 12 sons of Ishmael. So, any questions? Something? We got a ways to go. We got through what about half your sheet. So bring it back next week and we'll continue on. Thanks.